Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. As Ben said, my name is Rick Gromlich, and I'm the lead pastor of Proclamation Church in Mount Vernon. Um, it's a joy for us as a church to, we've been praying for you guys. Um, we, we're only like a, like a year ahead of you guys in the church planting process. Um, but it's just been a, a joy to, to kind of co-labor in that, to encourage each other's church, to be praying for one another. We've been praying for the Lord just to answer some of their practical needs um, and just for the Lord to be growing, working. And the testimony that we receive is that the Lord is faithful to that. Um, it was a joy for us to have Robert come and preach a few weeks ago. And that's just a, a beautiful thing when churches can co-labor together for the good of the gospel. Um, just want to begin with uh, a prayer, a pastoral prayer, prayer this morning. Um, and we're, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. So I'm going to pray and then we can dig into 1 John. But let me pray first. God, you are holy. You are worthy of all of our praises. You're worthy of our life being poured out in worship of you. Lord, you set all things right. You will make all things new. We look to you as the author and the perfecter of our soul. Lord, we pray this morning as we gather as a church, that you would illuminate your word as we work through uh, things of salvation and doctrine and, and loving one another, that we would Lord, be open, ready to be encouraged and built up. And where there is sin or apathy in our heart that you would convict, you would bring to light. We pray for those who may be here this morning who, who do not know you. They are not a new creation in Christ. Pray that you would make that clear to them and that you would bring them to saving faith. That you would reveal the weight of their sin. That you would reveal their lostness and the glory and the beauty of the gospel. We pray for those Lord, who are believers this morning. We pray that their faith would be affirmed, and encouraged, and built up. As we gather with the cares of the world, the weight of the things going on in each one of our lives, Lord, you speak to these things. May we look to you for encouragement. Lord, we do pray for the guys who are... Um, at a retreat, that it would be an encouraging time, a very informative time, Lord, that you would um, bring them back safe. We trust you, Lord, with all things. We praise you, for you are good. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, in your name alone. Amen. So, maybe you can relate in this, um, but have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're kind of, you're discussing something and you're laying out kind of your argument or your thought and you, and you feel like it's not a really complex idea that you're communicating and then you get done with your part and they respond and you just think, Man, you didn't hear a word I said. 
you know, and, and so you try, like, you're like, let me try to, to say this again, and, and you explain something, and then, and then they respond again, and you're like, man, we are, th I think we're in two different conversations. Like, we're, we're worlds apart here. How do you not understand what I'm saying? And we're going to get into 1 John. And the goal of 1 John, it's written by the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee, the author of the, the, the Gospel of John. And his goal is to make things clear. He wants to be clear to the church about what it means to be a Christian. So the goal of the whole book of 1 John, I am arguing, and the, uh, the, the title of the sermon is Clarity and Confirmation. Clarity and Confirmation. So John writes to the church to say, listen, this is what it means to be a Christian. There's a lot of heresy going around. There's people saying you can, you can deny the deity of Christ, all these things. And John addresses that and saying, listen, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he does this by laying out three tests or three kind of ways that we can assess our own heart. The first test, as we, if you read through 1 John, and these tests are, are all through the book. They're, they're, they're everywhere. The first one is the doctrinal test. The doctrinal test. Do you believe the right thing? Is your theology sound? Now, there are people who, who just, they, they want to um, have great theology because they want to have great theology so they can be proud of the great theology that they have. That's not what, what John's after. He's saying, do you have correct Theology, do you believe the right things? The next test is the moral test. Is your lifestyle in accordance with the Bible? Do you live as Christ has called you to live? Not kind of subjectively, well, well kind of my truth says it's okay. You know, maybe your truth doesn't, but rather, what does Scripture say? Are you, are you striving to live that out? Are you moving, are you growing and maturing in that direction? Then there is the love or the social test. Do you love the church, the bride of Christ? Do you love your fellow Christians? Not do you put up with them or do you kind of tolerate them, but I mean, do you serve them? Do you give of yourself to them? Do you, do you pray for them? Do you love them? So John lays out these, these three tests in his book. And he, again, he's designed this letter to bring clarity because so many people are walking in confusion. And this is a wonderful blessing. Man, if, if you yourself, you're kind of doubting where you're at with the Lord. And if you have been a Christian, even if you're well into your maturity in Christ, I'm sure you can remember back to those days where you're like, man, I, I think I believe, but I'm not sure. I'm, you're trying to find evidence. I mean, am I really a, a follower of Jesus? And this is a beautiful thing the Lord has provided through 1 John. If you're doubting, you can assess your heart, assess your life. And, and don't just look at like one week or one day, but look at several months, multiple seasons, and say, do I, do I see myself following the Lord? Am I growing in my faith? Am I, am I kind of steering away from the things of the Lord? This is a, a, a way to assess our hearts and our lives. And if you do that and you're like, man, I, I think I'm growing. I, I see over the last three years, I see maturity. I see a, a better desire for the things of the Lord. I, I'm reading the scriptures more. I'm praying more. Everything's still a struggle, but I see by God's grace growth. Praise God for that. Genuinely praise the Lord that he can reveal, man, you, you're maturing, you're growing. And if you assess your heart and your life, you're like, man, I, I don't 
I don't see growth. I don't see a desire for the things of the Lord. I don't see me overcoming sin. I'm kind of where I was 10 years ago. Well, praise God, he, maybe he's bringing clarity to you. And you can finally just kind of be squared up and, and understand, man, I don't know if I am a genuine Christian. I, I don't desire to, to follow the Lord and obey his commands. I, I don't really care about doctrine. And I, man, the church, I can take it or I can leave it. Praise the Lord if he's bringing those things, making those things clear to you. But again, John is doubling down in his, as we get towards chapter 5. He's doubling down. He says, listen, you must be born again. And as he works through this being born again, he, he concludes that those who are born of God overcome the world. That's a massive statement. Those who are born of God overcome the world. And this isn't like an ethereal kind of like concept that's kind of out there. This isn't like John being sensational. This is a present reality. Those who are born of God have overcome the world. Those who have been given the gift of salvation. They have been given the gift of adoption. They have been given the gift of overcoming the world. And as John writes this to the church, I just want to this morning to look at the gift of being born again, the confirmation of that gift, and then the reality of that gift. Now, I feel like I'm not super familiar with the liturgy, and so I just realized, I think I skipped over the scripture reading part that was supposed to come earlier. So we're going to do that now. Open with me, open with me to 1 John chapter 5. Verses, verse 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commands. For this is the love of God that we keep His commands... And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. There you go. Good job. Sorry I messed that up earlier. So here we are in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the gift. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. The gift. It all turns. This idea of, of being born again, of being a part of Christ's family. Again, John's writing to help the church figure out, I mean, are we followers of Jesus? Have we been born again? Well, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again. It hinges on that. Earlier in the book, in chapter 2, verse 22, John says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And Jesus deals directly with this in Matthew 16. If you will flip back with me, 
towards the Gospels, left in the Bible toward Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is, who is in heaven. Now I want to see quickly two things in this passage in Matthew. Peter makes the correct claim. Right, all these different ideas are going around who Jesus is, all this kind of doctrine people are kind of discussing, and, and some people act like it's up for grabs. It's not. Peter says, you're the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus affirms that. And then he makes it clear that this was not, Peter did not arrive at that correct answer because Peter's brilliant or because Peter had kind of logged some overtimes in a systematic theology book. He did that because the Father revealed it to him. He revealed and he opened his eyes to see the kingdom. He gave him the gift of salvation, of being born again. The word that we use often for this is regeneration. We're a new creation. We've been regenerated by Christ. This is a gift for us. In Ezekiel 36, we kind of have this language of regeneration. And this is verse 26 and 27 of Ezekiel 36. And this is Jesus, or God, speaking about his people. And I will give them a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all of my rules. To be born again, to be born of God means you have been reborn. In John chapter 3, we see this story of a Pharisee coming to Jesus, the Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he says to Jesus, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. He says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So many times in our life, as we're trying to figure out what do we believe, or we're trying to help other people figure out, man, what do they believe about Jesus? People want to kind of act as if, man, if the Lord would just reveal himself, or man, if, if we could just get some kind of sign, or if something miraculous would happen, something like raising people from the dead, Casting out demons, right? All these things which Jesus did. But so many people witnessed what he did and rejected him for it because they did not have the gift of regeneration. They were not born again. The Lord did not allow them to see the kingdom of God. 
So for us as believers, this isn't something we just, this isn't just a part of our doctrine that there's a moment in your life where you then become born again and you follow Jesus and you're a Christian. This is a moment that the Lord has orchestrated in your life to literally bring you from spiritual death to life so that no more do you have to walk in sin. No more do you have to keep kind of plowing through life the way that the world does it. But there is a hope in our eternal existence with God. There is a hope for our life forever and there is hope for this day. That the cares of today, the Lord is with us. And we don't face those the way the world faces them. We trust the Lord. We rely upon Him. Again, faith is, is not a matter of kind of laying everything out on the table and kind of assessing these things. I, I'm all for studying and, and robust theology and apologetics. But if you, if you have eyes to see the kingdom, if you are alive in Christ, it's because God allowed you to see he has brought you life. He has given you that gift. But oftentimes we understand these things and then we need some confirmation. Man, do we, do we really, are we really there? So John lays out in verse 1, man, everyone who believes, everyone who believes, this is their, their heart. This is their, the doctrinal test right here. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. They don't believe that Jesus is kind of a nice guy. He is the Christ, the Messiah, born of God. And then out of that, they then love God's people. And this is the, the verse 2, the confirmation of the gift. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commands. So we see John kind of tying the two, two of the tests together. How do you know that you're, you're meeting the, the, the social, the love test, and you're loving the people of God, the children of God? Well, one way you know is because you love God and you obey His commands. This is why it's so helpful, First John. It's amazing. You're discipling someone or you're, you're, you're walking through, uh, someone helping them walk through their faith, and they're like, man, I don't know where I'm at. Or you know someone and you know they're not living for the Lord. I mean, they don't give a rip about the church. They don't care about doctrine. They don't care about any of these things, but they're claiming to be a, a Christian. And you can very lovingly, graciously say, hey, let's, let's read through 1 John together. Let's read through that. And then you pray that the Holy Spirit, through God's word, would convict and illuminate and bring these things to life. It's a wonderful thing. Even for our own hearts, the scripture lays bare our affections or lack thereof. So we need to use the scriptures to warn people, to admonish them, to encourage them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do likewise, that we would be bold to do that. So here, the confirmation. And we, we, we love the people of the Lord, and we obey the Lord. We're striving to give of ourselves to them. This is not an easy or a light thing. We don't just do this on like a couple hours on a Sunday morning. This is something we're giving our life to, following Jesus, doing what he did and living as he commanded us to live. So we have to ask ourselves, man, do I feel like I love the children of God? Maybe there's people, maybe in here in this room, these people, are, are, they're, they're easy to love. 
And I would say, especially if you're a member, you've covenanted together, there is a high level of responsibility there. It's a very serious thing. But even the other Christians in your life, Christians in your family, Christians in where you live, your neighbors, your coworkers, man, we, we, for the most part, probably all think similarly on most things. But it's the ones who, they're still orthodox and all those things, but, but man, we just don't quite, it, it's a struggle, right? It's difficult to love those people. They rub us the wrong way. How do you, what do you, what do you mean, love the people of God? These people are difficult, but yet we strive to confirm that this gift of salvation by displaying a genuine love for God's people. I mean, it's, it's quite remarkable when we think about, man, we are God's people. We're His children. God has shown us immeasurable grace. And yet, and it's as true for all of us, at times it's so hard to extend grace to other people. So hard because they've hurt us legitimately. Things have been done, things have been said that were wrong, and it hurt. How do we how do we forgive that? Well, apart from Christ, you can't. Apart from Christ, you you're following the ways of the world, and you're not going to ever overcome the world. You're going to go, you're going to go the way of the world. So we need to strive to confirm the gift, to obey his commands. And he even doubles down on this in verse 3, right? Again, this is John's theme, like, don't misunderstand me. Don't get this wrong. You need to get this. And this is what he says in verse 3. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. So in case anyone was confused a little bit about verse 2 and this kind of obedience to God, he just lays it, this is what love is. You, you say you're a Christian, you say you love the church, you say you, are you keeping God's commands? Now, he's not asking, are you perfect? Because obedience does not equal perfection. He's saying, though, are you striving to keep the commands? Are you living in a way that, that this is what the, Lord, the word says? This is what I'm going to strive to do. This is what the word says. I'm going I'm to strive to do those things. You're keeping his commands. John lays this out so clearly because he knows our own heart. We can justify, we can rationalize, we can do these things that that in a way of kind of, we've got to get close to this command, but we'll kind of avoid it, right? Love one another. I'll show you love. I'm just not going to be around you, right? Strive for purity. Well, hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to watch like the, the terrible shows and stuff that everyone else is watching, right? So we're kind of have this, this defensive, like, well, I'm, I'm doing better than probably most other Christians, so I'm, I'm sure I'm keeping the command. I'm sure we're good there. That's not what he says. To love God. And I, I, love is a, is a funny thing because it, it, it drives, so much of it is emotion, And our obedience can then become kind of a response to emotions rather than the steadfastness of the love of God toward us and responding likewise. Not allowing just how we feel in the day or in the moment to dictate, but rather striving to love others. Striving to keep God's commands from a heart of love. And then John goes on and says, listen, his commands are not a burden. 
His commands are not a burden. Which feels funny, because if you read the commands of God, they feel like a burden. Like there, there's some stuff there that you're like, man, that, that's hard. That's heavy. That takes a lot of work. How is it that they're not a burden? To the world, the commands of God are a burden. To those who don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, to those who, who view the commands of God as like this confining restriction, they are a burden. But to those who are striving to, to life, seeing the commands of God as, as, as a beautiful way, just as a parent parents their child says, listen, you can't run out in the yard by yourself and do whatever you want. You, I can't just leave my three-year-old in the house right, to do whatever he wants. I had, to, I had to lay some commands there for his good. And the reality is that the Father does the same for us. He says, listen, purity isn't a burden because it gives you life, right? Protecting the way that you're on heart from gossip and, and from language that tears down isn't just something that, that kind of confines you. It is the road to life. Being in the word regularly and being in prayer isn't something that's kind of a burden and a to-do list. It might feel that way, but the reality is it's the road to life to overcoming the world. Oftentimes we can view the commands of the Lord as a way of, am I, am I does he love me more because I'm keeping his commands more? We, we connect our, some ways our just obedience to the commands to his love and affection toward us. This is something we would never do with our own children. But this is something we assume at times, this is what the Lord does with us. But he's reminding us that these things, the gift of regeneration, being born again, is from his love for us. So we respond in love, in obedience, in loving the church. So he clarifies, he confirms the gift by asking, man, are you obedient to the things of the Lord? Do you desire him? And then in verse 4 and 5, he begins to lay out the reality. He's asking the questions, do you have the right doctrine? Do you love the Lord? Are you obeying his commands? And then are you, are you serving? Are you loving his people? And he talks about the reality of the gift. Verse, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, the gift. <laughs> who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We began talking about how all things kind of turn on this idea that Jesus is the Son of God. If Jesus is not God, everything falls apart. If Jesus is God and we're claiming to be Christians, then we're bound by what the Lord has commanded us to do. And that's a gift that he's given us the faith. He's given us eyes to see the kingdom, eyes to see what he is doing, eyes to see his commands and his way of life for us as life-giving, a kind of life-giving that overcomes the world. Those who have faith in Jesus have overcome the world. Man, you, you read that and it just sounds like um, hyperbole. It's like, how, how is that even possible? The, 
John says that the, everything in the world is under the sway of the evil one. Everything that has not, has not been made new by Christ is under the sway of the evil one. All of it. So what does it mean to overcome the world? It means we're not going where the world is going. We're not bound to the things the world is bound to. It means that we overcome sin. We're not a slave to sin anymore. Galatians 5.1, you've been set free from sin. No longer should you enter into a yoke of slavery. We're, we've overcome sin. We've overcome death because of what Christ has done. We've overcome the fear of the world. We've overcome the, the, the lust for the things of the world, for, for prestige or, or, or people's approval or to have nice things to make us feel good. We're no longer a slave to those things. We've overcome them. We've overcome hopelessness. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have no hope that will sustain you. There is nothing that you can look to. There's nothing you can, can hang your hat on or, or you can saddle up with that's going to deliver. It is all empty. You're hopeless without Christ. We are hopeless without Christ. Sure, there's things in the world that will deliver happiness or pleasures or for a moment things that, that might feel great, but in the long run, hopeless. Christ is our hope. By having Christ, we have overcome hopelessness. Those who are in Christ have overcome the world. Think about the churches, the church through the, through the ages, through the centuries. It has been a hard 2,000 years for the people of God. How are they still flourishing all over the world? Their hope is in Christ. They've overcome the things of the world. They're following after Him. I just want to ask a few questions as we seek to kind of pull back our heart and examine Again, John's writing to help us confirm our faith, to know that we're believers, or to bring illumination that we're not believers. And so what are some, some practical things we can kind of look at to, to ask ourselves these questions and know where we stand with these things? So I've kind of three areas I want to just assess for a moment. The way that we talk, the way that we listen, and the way that we encourage. I think for most people, these areas are a struggle for us. There might be other sin in your life or whatever, but genuinely and generally, the way that you talk, the way that you listen, and the way that you encourage others is an indicator. How am I doing as a follower of Jesus who has been given the gift of salvation? Am I following the things of the world or am I following Christ? So the way that we talk, does the way that we talk show that we love God? that we have overcome the world? Does the way that we talk show that we love God and that we have overcome the world? Kind of language that's not fear-based. Language that's not rash or harsh. Rather, we are compassionate. We're loving. Maybe at times we're emotional, but we're not emotion-driven. We're not manipulative with the way that we talk. What about the way that we listen? 
Does the way we listen show that we love God and that we have overcome the world? Do we listen patiently toward others, knowing that, that Christ has, uh, that God loves them as a brother and sister in Christ? Christ has died for them. Do we sit and we, are we listening with the respect and the attention because we care about them? Are we listening without judging? We're hearing the whole message before we kind of begin to draw our conclusion. We're listening to their heart. Do we do these things? We show that we love God by the way that we listen. In conversation with one another as Christians, are we listening to hear, well, what's God doing in their life? This is kind of the, the hard thing about being a Christian, I feel like, in the American culture today, is you kind of feel like you have to have this like, mountain-high experience every week or two so that you can then share with someone and prove that you're actually a Christian. But rather, what are we listening for? We're listening for faithfulness. We're listening to someone share about God's faithfulness to them and that they're faithfully following the things of the Lord. We're listening what about the way that we encourage? Does the way that we encourage others show that we love God and that we've overcome the world? Right? We're, we're, not, we're not looking to encourage someone so that we can kind of get feedback to, to boost us up. We're not looking for, to encourage someone so that they can reciprocate back to us and build our ego. But does the way that we encourage show that we love God and that we have overcome the world? Some of the ways we do this is that we share about how we encourage people, encourage people and how God is good, right? The simple truth. Like God is good. Like he's really, really, really good. Are we encouraging one another in that? Genuinely, not just from a, a technical, theological, doctrinal position that God is good, Luke 18, 19. But man, God is good. He has shown up again and again. He's proven himself again. He is so good. Do we encourage one another that, that God is in control? We're going through hard things. Life is coming at us. And we don't know why. And a lot of times we will never know why. But we know he's in control. We know he's sovereign over these things. Are we encouraging one another in these life-giving truths? Are we encouraging one another that God's plan is not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon our culture. It's not even dependent upon our constitution. God's plan is God's plan. He's working it out. And by his grace and his design, he will use his church to fulfill his mission. So he desires to use and to work through us. We are not, he's not dependent. He's not beholding to us. Are we encouraging one another that God is patient and his timing is perfect? But we're going through questions of life decisions and we're trying to make decisions and when to do these things. And, and, and hey, we don't know all that, but let, let me encourage you. God's timing is perfect. Let me do, his timing is perfect. We must be patient and wait. He'll reveal. Are we encouraging one, one another that we are sojourners and strangers? We're aliens in a foreign land. That's why if we're overcoming the world, as those who've been born again, we've received the gift, it's so hard because the world's going this way. And the more that we're faithful to the Lord, we follow him, the more alien and distant we should feel. 
doesn't mean we pull back from the culture and just become kind of hermits or kind of exclude everyone else from our life. Not at all. But we are to feel this alien and strangeness because this is not our home. Do we encourage one, one another that sin is not unbreakable? The scriptures talk so much about us being free from sin. And sometimes you can begin to have this mind as you're struggling with sin, like, I'm never going to overcome this. I'm never going to move on from this. Encourage one another that you have overcome the, the world in Christ. Be faithful to Him. And you can be free from sin. And this is kind of a long list, but stick with me here matters how we encourage one another. We encourage one another that the world, the standards of the world are hollow and empty. And you see a brother or sister kind of, you know their heart, they desire the things of the Lord, but they're kind of chasing after some of the things of the world. Not that it's wrong to, to have nice things or do nice things. All those things are great. But when you're looking to those things for your identity, you're looking to those things for, for confirmation of who you are, it's hollow and empty. It will return void. So fulfill the, the creation mandate and, and subdue the earth, right? Sorry, call. But don't look to the things of the world for your encouragement. See, the love of Jesus, it's experienced as we're, as we're walking with him. You sit on a Sunday morning and you hear a sermon about it, which is really good. Hopefully the sermon's good about the love of Christ. Then you go and you live out your day. You have, Tomorrow's Monday. Lord willing, we're all going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to go through our life. We need to be grasping, holding tight to the love that Christ has for us. We do that by being in His Word. We do that by reading through 1 John. Say, man, there is evidence in my heart of the love for the Lord. And then we take our eyes off ourselves. We fix them on the Lord. See what He's doing. See His plan. He's working all things out. He's making all things new. He has brought me, He's adopted me into His family. I had no right to be there. I shouldn't be there. But He's brought me in. Praise the Lord for that. That is love. And that is an understanding and an awareness that only the Holy Spirit can bring. Through His Word. So we need to be people who are encouraging ourselves, building up our faith in His Word through the Holy Spirit. Listen, as we close, as, as John closes out his letter to the church, he again just doubles down on this. In verse 13, he says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know? Do you know if you're a child of God? Do you know if you have eternal life? I would plead with you this morning to stand before God's word in your heart and allow the scripture to speak and to reveal where your faith is. And to what, in what do you have your faith? And it's through the gift of salvation through Christ alone. And this is a gift that brings life. This is a gift that helps us to overcome the world.
But we need to be clear that we are following Jesus. And this is the gift of this letter, 1 John. To obey the things of the Lord. To love His church well. His people well. And to have sound doctrine. It is a blessed thing to know that you have received this gift. My prayer is, is that if you have, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you would be encouraged. And my prayer is if you have not, that the Lord would convict you of your sin and reveal your need for Him this morning. If you have any questions about any of these things, I would love to talk to you this morning. But let's pray together. God, you are so faithful to us. Despite, as you say in Ephesians, being an enemy of yours, you have come for us. You have brought us life for those who are in you. You didn't leave us in our helpless state, our lost state. You didn't leave us with um, being veiled and being dead in our sin, pursuing the things of the world as if they could somehow bring life. Christ, you came for us. You have redeemed us, adopted us in, and you put us on a new path, a path of life, a path that, that is away from the things of the, world, of the world and a path that overcomes the sin and the weight and the things that destroy and destruct. So I pray this morning that you would encourage and build up so we've studied, Lord, just this way to kind of evaluate our faith. Again, we'd be honest with the things of our heart. Give us strength to follow you, to obey you, to love you more. Stir up our affections for you. We praise you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen.